All right, this morning I am going to be doing the last in a series of messages on kingdom. That we've been talking for the past weeks about how the kingdom of God is something that even though it is spiritual in nature, is very much here and now. And even though it is future-oriented in its fulfillment, begins even here and now. And we've been seeing that week after week after week in the Gospel of Matthew and the way that Jesus talks about kingdom. So today I'm going to finish that up. And, and I'm not going to finish it up with a parable. In fact, we're going to go back to close to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and look at one of his very first teachings. So the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew divides his Gospel into five sections. And, and he does that intentionally because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience would have known and understood that the Word of God comes in the law. And the law, for them, were the five books of the Torah. So Matthew writes his gospel by taking all of the teachings of Jesus and putting them into five groups, five sections that sort of echo the Torah, the Old Testament law. The very first one of those teaching sections in Matthew begins in chapter 5, and it's a section that is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins that teaching, that section, with a set of sayings that is popularly, popularly known as the Beatitudes. That is the very first teaching of Jesus that comes in Matthew's gospel. So that's where I'm going to take us back to today. The first teaching of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. Now, I'm doing that at the end on purpose because what I wanted us to do was sort of get that snapshot over the rest of the gospel of all of the things that Jesus has to say about kingdom. And we've looked at that over the past weeks, right? All of those ways Jesus tells stories about this is what the kingdom of God is like. And we've seen those kingdom ideas that come out of those stories and we've seen the responses that are called for from those stories now what I want us to do is go back to the very beginning of Jesus' teaching. And with all of those kingdom ideas in mind, look at the way that the Beatitudes in particular sort of foreshadow everything that Jesus is going to be saying about the kingdom as it comes to us, okay? So, looking at Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, and a little bit of what follows. Before we read that together, would you pray with me? God, as we open your word today, we acknowledge and we recognize that this is your word spoken to us. So as we read it and hear it here in this place today, may your spirit speak it into our hearts that we may know your will for our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read through the first 16 verses. Here's what it says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Something about kingdom, then, that we see already here at the very beginning, right? And in this section of Beatitudes, what Jesus has to say about kingdom. Before we get into that, though, I, I want to talk a little bit about how we read and interpret the Beatitudes. And in particular, what I, what I want to spend a little bit of time on just to set this one up is talk just a little bit about something called hermeneutics, if you've ever heard that term before. Whether you know it or not, every single one of us has a hermeneutic. And if you're not familiar with what that is, I mean, it, it's not like biology, a part of the body. Is that like spleen or pancreas, right? Where is my hermeneutic? Um, it's not something biological. Hermeneutic is something else, but it is something every single one of us has. Because a hermeneutic is, is the academic term for a theory or method of interpretation. That's what a hermeneutic is. It is a theory or method of interpretation, and we all do it. We all have a theory or method of interpretation. Let me give examples, okay? We all have a theory or method of interpreting the weather. We all do it in different ways. Maybe what you do is you watch a weather report on TV, or maybe you've got, you take out your smartphone and you look at an app, or maybe you just go outside and feel what the weather is, right? Does it feel warm? Does it feel cold? Does it feel humid and muggy, or does it feel dry? Or you look to the west because usually weather comes from that way, and what's coming this way? We all have something we do as a way of trying to interpret what the weather is, that theory or method of interpretation is a hermeneutic. And we all do that with the Bible as well. We all have 
different methods of interpreting what the Bible says. I'll give another example, right, of of how that works. That often, one of the things we pay attention to when we read the Bible is we pay attention to the historical cultural context. That is part of our method of interpretation, that when we read a passage from Scripture, knowing that it's thousands of years old from a different time and from a different culture and a different language, we ask the question, so what did this mean to them, to the ones to whom it was originally written? When we do that, we're using a hermeneutic. We're paying attention to the historical and cultural context where this message originally applied. That is one of those hermeneutics that we use, a method of interpreting. The Beatitudes, I think, brings up another one, one that maybe we don't talk about ever or rarely, but I think makes a difference for this one. So I want to spend a little time talking about how we interpret this because it will make a difference for what the, me- what the message of the interpretation is. In particular, what we're wondering here about the Beatitudes is, are they meant to be prescriptive or descriptive? Prescriptive or descriptive in how they work. Let me give a little explanation around that as we think about what that means for a passage of the Bible like this. If something is prescriptive, well, that means it's something of an authoritative command. It's something that should happen. Think of, well, let me use the same word, prescription. If you're experiencing an illness and you go to the doctor and the doctor writes you a prescription, what the doctor is saying is with his doc or his or her doctoral right authority, here is a medication that I am authorizing for you to take. And it's coming with a bit of a command. I suppose you could say no, but it's coming with the doctor's authority to say, if you want to get better, here's what you do. You go get this medication that I'm authorizing. You take this specific dosage for this specific length of time. The doctor is prescribing what you need to do in order to experience healing. Sometimes we read scripture like that, like it's prescriptive. Prescriptive in that it's saying, this is the will of God. That if you do these things, then this will follow. There are examples of that in the Bible. Probably one of the best examples you could find would be the Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments are a prescriptive section of scripture. We read and interpret those in ways where we come away from it realizing God is giving his will for us to do, an authoritative command. And it stands throughout Scripture that those commands given in the Ten Commandments are affirmed over and over again. Jesus, in the New Testament, affirms nine out of the Ten Commandments, right? Upholds them. The tenth, uh, there's one that he sort of reinterprets, Sabbath, because, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus gets in trouble an awful lot for breaking what they thought Sabbath should have been, but Jesus sort of reframes that, but keeps it intact, that these commandments that were given long ago are still commandments 
It is God's will, prescriptive in that way, in how we hear that and think about that and follow that. So is that what the Beatitudes should be seen as? Uh, Is that our method of interpreting this? That these are prescriptive commands. That Jesus is saying, here are the characteristics or qualities that I want you to take on and I want you to emulate and live within these things so that the blessings that are attached to them may be realized. I want you to be people who are peacemakers so that that blessing may be realized. I want you to be people who are merciful so that the blessing may be realized. I want you to be people who are pure in heart so that the blessing attached to it may be realized. That would be one way of interpreting the Beatitudes. That these are characteristics that we should strive to do in that way. That's one way. But then there's another way to ask if they are descriptive. Now, something that is descriptive is simply stating a result or outcome based on natural circumstances. It's just saying, this is the way the world happens to be around us, and I'm just describing it for you in general terms. There are passages, there are sections of the Bible that do this as well. Think of the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature is primarily descriptive. The book of Ecclesiastes, for example, The wisdom writer in the book of Ecclesiastes is just giving a general description of the way he sees the world around him. Describing it in terms of, well, for some, those who happen to be people who pursue the meaning of life in riches and wealth, then generally the outcome seems to be this sort of meaningless existence that it all ends to. Or for those who seem to try to find the meaning of life in, in notoriety and in fame, well, then the outcome tends to be rather meaningless and empty in the end. And the wisdom writer goes on and on to, to arrive at the place that for those who seek to find the meaning of life in the pursuit of godly wisdom, then the outcome of that tends to be admirable and worthwhile. Some of those things that we see in the wisdom writings that that are not hard and fast commands, but they're descriptions that take place. Or think of it maybe in our own setting, in our own world of uh, sports broadcasters. So if you watched any amount of football over the last few days through the holiday weekend, then you probably had a TV station turned on in which there are sportscasters announcing the play-by-play of the game. Now, the, the people who do that, they're not the coaches. They're not calling in the plays. Right? They're, they're not telling the players on the field, here's what you need to do. Rather, what they're doing is they're just describing the action they see taking place before them, along with the results and the outcomes that naturally take place because of it. So we see examples of that in our world, and there's examples of that in the Bible as well. Think of Proverbs. Proverbs 22, a familiar passage in Proverbs that says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's descriptive. Because if it was prescriptive, that would leave us with a bit of a head scratch of, but there are people who do their best to 
train and raise their kids well, but doesn't always seem to work out? Or, or what about examples of, of those who come from what looks like really horrible home situations, but they're able to turn everything around? There's a general description that the wisdom writer gives in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. A general description of, it just seems the world works in general terms this way, as something descriptive with that. So why make a big deal out of this with the Beatitudes? All right, so what? I, I, really, what's the difference? Well, the difference would change what that passage means. Right? The, the difference in how you approach the Beatitudes in this would completely change what the interpretation of that passage is. And I bring it up here because biblical scholars do not all come down in one place on this. Right? As, I, as I researched and read this one through and looking for how this one should come forward, there's not complete agreement out there. So I'm going to give you my take on where that is. Right? My take on, here's what I think the interpretation of the Beatitudes is, but, but I say that knowing full well that there are certainly scholars out there who would agree with me, and there are other scholars who would say, no, it's the other way. Right? But I'm going to give you what my take on that one is, that I would say that the Beatitudes are better understood as descriptive, the second one. That these are sayings of Jesus that are not hard and fast commands, here's what you need to do in order to find or receive this blessing. But Jesus is beginning his Sermon on the Mount with, I'm going to describe for you what the world is like. And I'm going to describe for you how the blessing of God's kingdom finds its way into those places of the world in a descriptive way. Now, uh, one of the reasons I go this way is because, to some degree, it just makes logical sense. It makes logical sense to me because there are a few of these Beatitudes that don't really work as commands. It doesn't really work with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't make sense to me that Jesus would make a command, I want you to be people of mourning. I want you to be people who are in sorrow. That is as though it's God's will that we should be people who are sad. It doesn't make sense that God would say as part of his will, I want you to be people who are persecuted. It's my will that you be persecuted people. As though we should go seeking it out, looking for it. Trying to be people who are persecuted. That doesn't make sense either. It doesn't make sense that it would be God's prescriptive will that we would be people who are poor in spirit. God would want us to be full of spirit as part of his will. So part of this is just logical to me anyway. It makes sense that God is not prescribing that it is his will that we should actually go try to pursue all of these things. Now, there's, there's a bit of a caveat to that because some of the other ones you do find other places in Scripture that do prescribe it, right? Think about peacemaking, 
All right, there are other passages in Scripture that do give a prescriptive command to be peacemakers. Paul in the New Testament gives that command. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone around you. That seems to be a command. Or for mercy, the prophet Micah, what does the Lord require of you? Right To, to walk in ways that embrace justice and mercy, to be merciful, the prophet would say. Or to be pure in heart, that God would elsewhere in Scripture give a command for his people to be pure as far as it depends on them. So I can't cast that same umbrella over all of these sayings in the Beatitudes and say, you know what, none of these things are God's will for you as something that you should try to be or try to do. This gets a little complicated then. All I'm saying here is, in this context, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus means to present these as something of a description even if there are a few out of the list that you can find elsewhere in Scripture that, you know what, this is actually something I should do and strive to do. It takes a little bit of teasing out that way, right? But I want us to keep the frame of description in mind because it makes a difference for interpretation, for how we interpret the Beatitudes to come to us then. What does this look like as something that's descriptive then? Well, if it's something that's descriptive, then it describes something about kingdom blessing. Right? Every one of these sayings begins with that word, blessed are those, or blessed are you when this or when that. That there's a blessing that happens. And so many of them also refer to the kingdom in some way. That you inherit the kingdom or receive the kingdom. There's something of kingdom and blessing that come together in this. And Jesus is describing it. Describing it in ways that looks like it covers a spectrum, doesn't it? I mean, we've got people who are peacemakers and merciful and pure in heart. Those admirable things that we strive to do. But then also, we have people who are mourning. People who are persecuted, people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and not finding it. We've got people all across the spectrum there. And what Jesus is saying in this then as a description, he's saying, you know, the the blessing of God's kingdom can reach me no matter what my life looks like from one day to the next. That Jesus is beginning all of his teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. Everything that has to do with kingdom and what kingdom means and how the kingdom of God is here right now. And we've looked at all of those ways through those stories, through all of those parables. Jesus sets that all up in the very beginning by telling his disciples, you know what, no matter what life looks like for you, no matter what your day-to-day experience is, the kingdom is there. The kingdom can reach you, no matter where you are. So if 
you are a person for whom you feel like right now you're, you're riding a wave of blessing. That there are resources abundantly available to you. That you can truly embrace and live everything it means to be a person of peace and a person of mercy. A person of generosity. If you're riding one of those waves right now, Jesus says, the kingdom is right there. It's right there. That Jesus brings that kingdom. And you can experience it and know that right there in that moment. But what Jesus is also saying in this is that if you happen to be in a season of life where maybe things are a bit rough, if you happen to be in a season of life where there seems to be more sorrow than happiness going on for the moment, if you happen to be in a season of life where, for whatever the reason, you find yourself wondering what the next day is going to bring and where the next day is going to go, whatever that looks like, if you find that the kingdom is there. The blessing of God's kingdom meets us no matter where we may experience life being from one moment to the next. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's bringing that introduction to this entire idea of the kingdom into his disciples and into their world in ways that acknowledge and affirm, you know what, you're going to have good days and the kingdom is going to be right there on those good days. And you know what? There's going to be hard days too. There's going to be days when you wonder where life is going. And you know what? The kingdom can still reach you there. God's kingdom still finds you there in those places. Jesus is giving these teachings as a way of helping his disciples learn and understand the gospel that he brings. That Jesus comes to this world and goes to the cross so that all of our brokenness, all of our sin, right, everything that we do that destroys the world around us, Jesus takes all the guilt of that and he takes it to the cross and He has to come near us for that to happen. He has to come into our world and live as one of us to experience those things. That Jesus comes and brings his kingdom, not just into those glorious places of victory, but he comes and brings his kingdom even into those places where we feel crushing defeat. And he brings it to all of those places. That's what Jesus does. And then I I kept going with the reading for this one, right? I didn't just leave it off right at the Beatitudes, but I, I took on that next little section of Scripture about salt and light, what it means for us to be salt and light or to bear witness to who Jesus is. And maybe we think of that often in terms of, well, it it means I've got to be a person who knows how to share and present the gospel and and tell people about Jesus and share the good news of that. And 
Yes, that is all true. That Jesus does call his people to be disciples who make disciples. That we share the gospel news that way. But I also find it interesting that that is a section of teaching that Jesus puts right on the tail of the Beatitudes, right on the tail of this description of the way that the kingdom of God exists in our world all around us, no matter where we happen to find ourselves being. That in any one of those situations, we bear witness to Jesus and the kingdom. That when we are riding that wave of blessing to where we see all of the peace and the mercy and the justice of God, and we're embracing that in ways where we see it moving forward. Yes, we bear witness to God's kingdom when we do that, but, but also, also we bear witness to God's kingdom even in the times when things are not going the way we would rather have them go. Even in times when we find ourselves in moments of persecution, we can bear witness to the kingdom in that. In times when we may be in sorrow, hurting, struggling, we can bear witness to the kingdom even in that. So to be salt and light in this world is to show the way in which I am unconditionally and relentlessly held on to by Jesus no matter what my life looks like. That bears witness to the kingdom. No matter what's happening around me, because life can change from day to day, but no matter what happens around me, when I hold on to that assurance that relentlessly, unconditionally, Jesus holds on to me no matter what, in ways where he brings his kingdom into my life, no matter what, that bears witness to what the kingdom of God looks like in our world around us. The way Jesus brings it to us. The way it echoes through our lives. That we have been brought into a kingdom like that. Not one that we have to go searching for and finding ourselves but one that Jesus brings right to us and right into the lives that we live right now. That's the kingdom that is before us. And it starts right in our lives right now. It starts right in your own backyard, right in the world around us. So whatever your life is right now today, whatever it is today, if you've got great stories of what's happening in your life or if you have stories of struggle that are happening in your life or if you have both going on at the same time, the kingdom is there. It gives testimony to Jesus in our world and Jesus in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and thank you that in your word that you, you describe for us your kingdom. Lord, we thank you today that your kingdom is something that shows up no matter what. 